Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. God in the house of God. We are still dealing with the broad theme of the primacy, the priority, if you would, of the Word of God. In this house, the Word receives great Okay, and I've chosen the title poignantly, The Word of God in the House of God. The house of God is not the house of God. God. Many houses, but where there is no focus on the Word of God, you compromise what the house was meant to be. Okay, so Micah 4 is our text. We're taking notes, I'm meant to add this in. Um, the same Three verses are almost found verbatim in Isaiah 2, chapter 1 from about, sorry, Isaiah 2 from about verse 1 to down about verse 3 or 4. So if you are making a comparative study, you must study these two. Micah Micah 4 and Isaiah 2 are prophetic scriptures um, of things that will transpire in the last days. Everyone say in the last days. I meant to make this note as well, because verse 1 starts, it will come about in the last days. Now, when did the last days start? The last days started with the ministry of Jesus Christ. Right? How do we know that? Because Hebrews 1 says, Hebrews 1, verse 1, 2 and 3 says, In times past, God spoke through the prophets in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son or through His Son. The correct rendering is in His Son. So the last days started with God speaking in the Son. So we conclude that the last days started with the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It was also physically uh, sort of manifested, if you would, on the day of Pentecost. Because Peter stood up and what did Peter say? Right? It is written, thus saith the Lord, or through the prophet Joel, I will, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So he was contextualizing the outpouring of the spirit in the era in which he was alive. Peter called that, these are the last days. So the last days started with the ministry of Christ, um, was manifested throughout the day of Pentecost, and we are still living in that era called last days. Now, literally, we are about 2,000 years from the time of Christ and Pentecost. So we're here living in the last of the last days. Hmm? So tell you what these are last days. So let's read. When you read this prophecy, then, you must read it with an understanding that what we are reading is applicable to the era in which we live. Okay? Now, it will come to pass, it will, sorry, it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains and it will raise above hills. The peoples will seem to it. Many nations will come and they will say, come, let us go up 
to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he might teach us about his ways, and that we might walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions mighty and distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Never again will they train for, for war. On page one. Okay. Never again will they train for war. Now, look at verse two. The latter part of verse two. From Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, before we analyze this text, you've got to understand what Zion is. Now, Zion, as I've indicated, is a reference to the church. Specifically, a mature, perfected church. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 22 tells us, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the general assembly, and the church of the first born. It starts, but you have come to Zion uh, and to the city of the living God. Then it gives several descriptions of Zion or the city of the living God. Part of that description is Zion is also called the church of the the firstborn. I tell your neighbor, you are God's firstborn. Romans 8 said that Christ was the firstborn in Many brothers. Okay? And so Christ is in us as the firstborn of God. We corporately are the firstborn son. Right? The corporate son. We are God's firstborn. We are called church of, of his. Zion is a perfect church. Zion is not just church. Zion is the design of God for church. Um, Zion is a place of immense brightness, light, and illumination. Later on in the, in the course of the of Zion and all scriptures, um, especially in the Old Testament, of what Zion picks as a mature, perfected church. Um, Zion is really a place. Why? Because the light shines so bright that literally nothing grows. But everything responds to the light of the illumination of God. Now, the Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The church of the firstborn should be a place where the light of God's word shines very, very bright. Zion is not Zion without light. And light is a consistent dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth, verse 14 says. Right? His life, the Bible says, was the light of men. This life, remember we said you must become the word. When the word becomes flesh, and dwells among men when you can glorify your, your, your Father in heaven. You shine your light through your works. Let your light shine. Let them see your good works. The only way you as word is going to give forth light in the world for men to see is through work. Right? So you work. We will discuss that and pack, unpack it but more slowly later on. Right? But basically, what I'm trying to get at is, church of God 
is Zion. It's Mount Zion. It's a mountain. It's the mountain of the Lord's house. And this verse says that the law will go forth where from? Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, we need to understand the distinction between kingdom and church. And I got a little note um, on it. Let me just explain it quickly. The two terms are not used synonymously in the Bible. The two terms are not used interchangeably in the Bible. You have clear references in Scripture to kingdom of God and clear references to church. Okay? I think Jesus only used the term church two or three times in his whole earthly ministry. But he used the term kingdom of God very, very often. Right? So the church is the ecclesia. The church is the called out ones. The church is comprised of sons of God in the world. The kingdom of God, however, includes the church, but is far more than the, far more than the church. If you look in the middle of the, the paragraph I wrote, the kingdom of God is an all-pervasive superimposition of God's nature and will upon every expression of life and sector or domain on planet earth and the entire created heavenly domain. So both in the heavens and in the earth, the kingdom of God, it won't say all-pervasive, so it, it covers literally every single expression of life. It's all-pervasive. It's a superimposition. So God superimposes two things. His character, His nature, and His will. So the, the entire created order, both listen carefully, both seen and unseen realms, include what the Bible calls is the kingdom of, the kingdom of God. And we'll study the kingdom concept in a bit more detail later. But in your mind, all I want you to focus on for the purposes of tonight's study is this. God has a kingdom. It's never ending. It's always enlarging. That's what Isaiah 9 tells us. Of the increase of his kingdom and his peace, there will be no, there will be no end. The kingdom comes and always is coming. The word, thy kingdom come is an ever present, continuous reality. It's ever-present, but ever-continuous. It has come, but it's always coming. King, Dom, a king who has dominion. King, God wants to express his rule and his authority over all sectors or domains of human life. Right? Now, he, what, how is he going to do this? He calls people out, the ecclesia. He calls his church out. And the church, listen carefully, becomes the primary vehicle or agency in and through which the kingdom will be expressed to every other sector in life. The church is the vehicle, if you would. The church is the agency that is mandated to express and to extend the kingdom. We both express it and extend it. Okay? So you are the conduit. You are the means that God is going to use to express His rule, His kingdom, His dominion over every sector in life. What was the first commandment given to Adam? Be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. I will rule through you, God was saying to him. 
You be my representative, you be my ambassador, my rule will be expressed through, through you. Okay? And so, the kingdom must always come within you first, because it can come through you, before it can come through you. You must make certain that you, your entire life, is under the rule of God. Okay? Jesus said, do not say, lo, here, or lo, there is the kingdom, for verily I say unto you, the kingdom of God is within you, right? You become the living embodiment of the rule of God in your world. And you, as that icon of the kingdom, wherever you go, you know, on, on a computer, you have icons. If you double-click on an icon, what happens? A whole program, a whole world of possibilities open up to you. You become the kingdom icon in the world. When people double-click on you, sometimes they can double-click the wrong way. But if ever they double click on you, what must open up is a kingdom reality, kingdom response. And God is two things His nature and will, His dominion in the affairs of men. Has anybody double clicked you the wrong way recently? <laughs> Even if they tramp you the wrong way, they tramp your, your, your baby toe. And, they, and they're expecting a fight. They're expecting the wrong reaction. Somebody uh, misrepresents you. They're expecting bitterness. They're expecting unforgiveness. But what do you do consistently? You put the kingdom nature on display before them all the time. Whenever we display kingdom behavior, we give God an opportunity to rule in and through us. Amen? And so that is the way the kingdom comes through, through men. Now, Everyone say the house of God. Come on, say it again, the house of God. Now, it's very, very clear. If you go back to Micah 4, verse 1 says, It will come past those days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. Now, we want to focus a bit on this term, house of the Lord. Okay? The house of God or the house of the Lord. I put as a heading, subheading at the bottom. The house of the Lord or the house of God is essentially the, the family of God. Whenever you think house of God, the, the basic constitution or character, if you would, of the house is that this house is essentially a family. Now, there are several scriptures that refer directly or indirectly to the church as the house of God. For example, for Timothy says, but in time delay, I you that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. I like that verse. So the household of God is clearly defined as the church of the living God. And notice, before you turn over, listen carefully. That phrase, the pillar and the support of what? Of what? Truth. You can't be the church house if you're not two things. If that house is not about pillar and support. If you, if you have a base, you know, a base, a pillar has to rest on a base. And the pillar upholds the structure. This verse is saying the house of God is the church of the living God. Which is, it's both the base and the support of what? Truth. And what did Jesus in John 17? Thy Word is truth. 
Word is what holds up structure. Word is what supports and holds together the entire construct of the church. The New Living Translation says, before says where it says, the pillar and of truth. It says the, the, the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. For pillar and the foundation of, of truth. Galatians 6.10 So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, the household of faith is the church of God. First Peter 5 says, But you also, as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house. So we are the house of God, but we, are, we have a spiritual character, or we are spiritual in nature. And you should understand the word living stones. So when you think of little house, I have a picture of a house here. Um, the brick and mortar, this physical building does not constitute the church. This is simply a building that houses the church. You are the stone. It says you are a living stone, right? Live stone, right? So church is constituted by actual people. You are the bricks and the mortar, right? You are the stones of the house. What must you be characterized? A base and a pillar of the, the truth. You must be a person of truth. It's you essentially that is holding up the structure right now, right? But what, what causes your, what gives you structural strength in this house of living stones? What makes person each, each one so strong that in building terms, you could be called a pillar? It's your commitment to the truth, right? It's commitment to the truth. The church of God is both the base, the foundation, and the pillar or support of the of the truth okay you must become the living epistle you must become the word made made flesh now hebrews says it like this hebrews 1 to 6 for hebrews 3 verse 1 to 6 therefore holy brethren partakers of a heavenly calling consider jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession he was faithful to him who appointed him as moses was also in all his house for he has been counted worthy of more glory than moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house okay the builder of the house which is christ has more honor than the, the house it itself for every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is who so who builds the house of god what did Jesus say in Matthew 21? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I got it at the bottom there, Matthew 16, 18. Um, I say to you, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, when I ask you, who's building the church? Let's get these concepts firmly into our minds. Who's building the church? Christ, right? God himself, Christ, Father, Son, Spirit, is building the church. I will build my church, and the gates, the gates of hell will not prevail what? Against what? Not the church, against a built church. Because the idea is, the gates of hell will, let me rephrase it. The act of building is the strength. I will build, and then the gates of hell will not prevail. Right? So the act of building becomes our primary expression of warfare. Right? So, the gates of hell do not prevail against a built church. We've got to understand what makes a built church. What comprises a built church? What makes a church a built church? Right? 
Go back to Hebrews. It says, verse 4, Hebrews 3, For every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is, is God. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his, whose house are we. Moses was faithful in the house as a servant. Christ was faithful over the house as a son. The Bible says, we are this house if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm unto the end. Okay. Now, a built house. Um, it's a separate sort of topic, but let me just hint at it, at it now. Paul says of the Corinthians, um, according to the grace of God given to me, I as a wise what? Wise master, builder, have laid the foundation, which is Christ. Right? Another man has built. Same words, built thereupon. Let each man take heed how he, how he builds. Um, you build by laying down principles of the word in the lives of people. Okay? I won't have time to unpack that. Greek word is themeliamos, which references foundation. Right? I'm going to say it again slowly. What is a bull church? A, a bull church is a church that functions by the principles of the word of, of God, which wise master technicians, Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. Wise master builders lay down principles of the word in the lives of the people. The people become strong, okay? Because we operate word principles. The horse becomes the base of the truth. We are people because principles and laid first, which is Christ, the cornerstone, and row by row, take upon line, precept upon precept, that makes a church. Hell does not prevail against that kind of church. The gates of hell does not prevail against the church that is full Jesus. So, what makes the house of God the house of God? Everyone say the word of God. Remember our broad theme is the primacy of the word. I want to show you in this, in this lesson how the house is only as strong as the word content in that house. The house is only as strong as the degree to which those in the house have assimilated the word of the house. The house is only as immune to satanic attack as to the degree in as far as that house has imbibed and embodied every word principle that has been taught. Okay? So we want to build a strong house, not so? Right? Your life must be a strong house. Tell your neighbor, your body is the temple of the, of the Holy Ghost. Now listen carefully. Your body is a house. Paul uses this word house, oikos, also um, in reference to people's earthly bodies. Your body is, but so are we the corporate temple. We are a corporate house, so to speak. Now, what makes a house a house? Let's examine these two words briefly. I got the note in your note. The Hebrew word for house is bayith, bayith, and the term is oikos, say oikos. So we have the Hebrew bayith, and in the Greek we got oikos, right? Both translated as 
house. Now, as is in your notes, bayit means a house. In the greatest variation of applications, especially family. It's used in a variety of applications in Scripture, but most often you should underline the word their family. This is directly from Strong's Concordance, right? Especially family. The Greek oikos, too, references a dwelling and by implication a, a family, right? A family. Now, listen carefully. Let me just read the first statement there. At times, both bayit and oikos can refer to the physical dwelling itself, but more often alludes to the underlying quality or order of relationships that exist in that house. Okay? You can have a house, but you may not have a home. You can have a house which is made of brick and mortar, a physical structure. And I don't know if you've been to such houses where it can be beautiful, it can be ornate, it can be clinical, everything is in place, the finest of everything, but it lacks the atmosphere of family. Yet you can be in a hut with not, not much, but you can sense in the atmosphere this is a home. Right? So the word house has got very little to do with the structure. It's got everything to do with the quality of relationships that exist in that house. Not so? Right? Now everyone say the Lord. So house of the Lord has a largely, it largely refers to the quality or order of relationships that exist within that house. Right? Now in the house, in the house, the, the primary quality of relationships that exist in the house is one of fathers and fathers and, and sons. Now let me just go another sheet here. Everyone say bana. Not banana, bana. Okay. This word bana, let me use a different color here. This word means to build. Hebrew. Right? Bana. Now, it's interesting, both the words bayith And Ben are derived from that word Bana. Both words. And you know, well, we know what this means. This means house. And Ben means, you know this? Ben means son. You want a reference here? Psalm 1. Psalm 127, right? Now, it's amazing, both Bana, both Bayith and Ben are derivatives of Bana. Bana means to, to build. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that which I build. The Hebrew word Ben, translated son, is also a derivative of Bana. So how does God build the house? How does God build the house? Through sonship. Right? Okay, we've got some colors here. So God, this is, this is the key. Sonship is the key. 
Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Right? The word build, banah, the, the derivative is ben. So the Lord builds the house by building what? By building sons. Bayith has got very little to do with the structure, but has got everything to do with the principle of family. Listen carefully. Bayith house has got to do, I said, with the quality of relationships that exist in that house. So this word bayith house alludes to family. What the word strictly translated, Ben, this word strictly translated means a builder of what? Of the family name. In your notes. So, what is a son? By definition, a son is a builder of the a builder of the family name. Okay? A builder of the family name. And the word name, listen carefully, the word name, like we keep saying, alludes to two, two things, to nature and, and function. Right? To nature and function. All the time. Please remember that. What is the family name? The name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name of God. Right? The primary name of, of God is Father. I'll demonstrate that shortly. So we are here to put or to represent the name of God. The name of God in that concept are two things. Its character and its mandate, its function or its will to be effected upon the, upon the earth. For that to happen in an earth-based context, it only happens through the principle of, of sonship. So it's only a son that can bear the nature of God and fulfill the function. Jesus said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the, you've seen the Father. So a son is the building block, if you would, of the house. A son is the brick and mortar of the structure of the house. Remember, in, I think in a few sessions ago, in the, the two parables in Matthew 13, the first parable of the sower and the seed, the seed was the, the word of God. And the second parable, the seed was the son of the kingdom. Remember? Right? So the seed, the word of God, must become the son of the kingdom. The son must always have a kingdom mindset. But to express the kingdom, he finds himself in a house, a church, in and through which that kingdom reality is going to be expressed. So, who's the son of God? Let me see your hands. Tell your neighbor you are Ben. That's the name of our new cat, by the way. We were deliberating the past few days, arguing at home. What are we going to call this new cat? Right, it went from Pringles to Mayetta. Uh, I don't know what the other. Uh, Elisha was even an option. Okay. And then, uh, my suggestion was call the cat Ben, son. Call the cat Ben. And then ultimately, at lunch today, it was finally ratified. In a court of law, the cat shall be called, and thou shalt call his name Ben. For he shall be a builder of the family name. Okay. Right? So our new cat is called Ben. Son. Right? So the son must become 
A, a word son, we said, must be incarnator of the word, and you become a son in the kingdom. Right? So the house is based on the principle of family. But then also we said, now listen carefully, if the house is essentially constituted, the, the, the glue, if you would, the component parts of this house are word-filled sons. The presence of sons presupposes the acceptance of father. Because you cannot have sons without father. And we keep saying this, but let me just demonstrate. I'm going very slowly because I know some of you know these things, but I'll make certain everybody's on the same page in terms of our... So when we come to this house on a Sunday morning, you must come with a, a new mentality, a new mindset, if you would. Okay? So, everyone say Father. Father. You have family. Without father. Right? You can't have family without father. And the, the, the Greek for family or father is pate. And the Greek for family is patria. Patria in the Greek is derived from the word pate. Patria is a derivative in the Greek language from pate. So you can't, if you say the house by it, is the order, the quality of relationships. It's the order of sons. It's the arrangement of family. You can't have that without accepting the, the, the principle of fathering. Okay? So, the house of God then is comprised of spiritual fathers and sons. That house is global. That house is a temple. That house is a corporate son. But in, in jurisdictions, it manifests itself in a local house, like a local church, which will have a spiritual father who is given spiritual oversight over bins, sons in the house. Those sons are what? Are builders of whose name? Not the name of the father, <laughs> the spiritual father, the family name, right? The family name is the name of God him, himself. Inherent within that principle of name is there's a character, a nature, and a will to be expressed in the earth. God's kingdom wants to be extended and express itself in every domain of human life. It's going to be expressed in and through His church. The constitution of the church then, if it's weak, it compromises its mandate to express the kingdom. Can you see where we're going? So if the house is weak, that house's capacity to be the reception and the expression of kingdom, mandate, and character is severely, severely compromised. That's why a weak bayith, a weak oikos, is a house in which the principle of fathering and sonship is weak. When that principle is weak, that house cannot be not express the kingdom to the degree that God has called that house to function. Please don't, don't view this, this father wines, father-son wineskin parochially. Don't view it narrowly. 
You've got to understand it in terms of its broad construct. Why we're stressing fathers and sons is not to focus on the means, but there's an end to the means. There's something bigger than the thing, right? And it's that which I believe we in this house are poised to be, to be launched into. We have a semblance of, of accuracy to a degree as far as the bayith, the house, is concerned. But God wants to strengthen the house so that He can use the house to express a greater kingdom expression, not just locally but throughout the whole world. This is the platform, the launch pad, if you would, of God's will to the nations. But it's going to depend on the quality of relationships in this house, the kinds of mandates God gives to the house. A weak house cannot receive global mandates. Right? A poorly constructed house cannot receive significant mandates. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulder. Everyone do this. Square your shoulders. Right? If you have some shoulders, it's square. <laughs> Listen carefully. What do shoulders speak of? The capacity to bear burdens. Eh? The Bible says the government will be upon his Shoulders. Shoulders speak of governmental rule and authority. And I pray that the Lord will, 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 will strengthen the, the house significantly. Amen? Strengthen the house significantly. Now on page 2, listen carefully. Psalm 127 verse 1a says, Unless the Lord builds, that's Banah, builds the house to sonship, they labor in vain that, that build it. I say to you, you cannot have family without Father, you cannot have patria without pate. Ephesians 3.14 says, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its... Please just camp there for a while. Circle name and write nature function. Paul says, I bow my knee before who? Before the Father. And he says... From whom? Should underline from whom? And then the word every family. In heaven, so there's families in heaven, and every family on earth derives what? Nature and function, its name. So if we here in, in Morod are the bayith of the Lord, the house of the Lord with spiritual fathers and sons, from whom do we derive our name, our nature, and our function? It says from the the Father. The nature of the Father and the will of the Father must characterize this family, this Bayith. Every family in the earth derives its name from the Heavenly Father. So we must be representatively reflective of everything the Father stands for. Right? So the Father nature must ooze and be all-pervasive in everything we do um, within this house. Go to the next page. Listen, I'm going to go a bit fast because of time. So tell your neighbor we are family. There are many metaphors of the church in the Word of God. Examples are a few there. The word, the, the, the church of the Lord is also referred to as the city of God, a bride, a mountain, etc. All these contain key elements or features and characteristics that assist us to define what church is. While there are many metaphors of the church in the Word of God, 
The church as a family is not allegorical, but essentially points to how the church is actually constituted. All the other symbolisms are metaphorical or, or allegorical. They are a city, the church is a, a city or a bride. Um, the writers of the scriptures use those concepts to illustrate certain features of the church. But where, it's, where it alludes to the church as a family, that's not allegorical, that's actual. It points to the essential constitution and character of the church. Tell your neighbor, we are family. And you know, if you have family, you have, if you have father and family, right, uh, father and, and sons, yeah, sons are collective, many sons. Sonship implies brotherhood, not so? What does Peter tell us? Love the, love the brotherhood. You can't love the father and say, I love the father, but I don't love the father's other sons. Right? First John says, says it like this. First John, there's a verse that says, Whoever loves the father will also love the children born of him. So you can't say I love God, but some of his kids are hate. <laughs> some of his other sons are, I just can't get on with. In this family, excuse me, you can't be only devoted to the father. You have to accept the brotherhood. You have to accept others, other sons in the, the house. Amen? Do you love everybody? Can you honestly look at everyone in this, in, this, in this meeting tonight and say, you're my brother, I really love you, and I accept you because I'm connected to our, we have the same father. Amen? Hallelujah? Amen? You've got to come to a place where you can actually, where you can actually say that. Okay. Now, just another, perhaps, point of explanation. I haven't really got into the study tonight, but these are all fundamental for what I need to say later on. Okay? Everyone say Christ. Now, Christ, listen carefully, Christ There's Christ, the head. And there's Christ, the body. Who are we? Paul says, and many other New Testament writers, we are the body of... Nowhere in the scripture will you read, we are the body of Jesus. It says we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the family... I'm going to rewrite these terms for emphasis. We are the family of God. We are the bayit. We are the oikos. We have spiritual fathers and sons, a brotherhood. We are the body of Christ in the earth. Okay? We are the body of Christ in the earth. Put earth here. Christ in the heavens. Is the head of this body. Paul in Colossians and Ephesians teaches that Christ is the head of his church, the body. Right? Christ is the head of the body. The body, the family of, 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 of Christ in the earth, must be thoroughly reflective of everything in the head. Whatever's in the head must be in the, the body. The head 
even naturally, you sever your head. Try it tonight and see what happens. <laughs> Cut off your head and see what happens. Right? You'll die immediately. The body disconnected from its head chip function is a dead body. Right? This is the, where the mind, the nerve center, it, it makes decisions, it has a will, it has intentions that the rest of the body must come, comply to. Now, everyone say Christ. Now, everyone say Christology. Right? Some will reference this word very often at the recent Apostolic School of Ministry. Right? The study of Christology is the study of Christ. Okay? Theology is the study of God. You can study theology through academic study. Right? You can enroll at UNISA and enroll for a Bachelor uh, of Theology. And you can read for that and you can pass with flying colors and be far from God. You can do that purely academically. Christology is the study of Christ. And to know Christ, it is going to have to happen by revelation, not by academic study. Yes, you will apply your mind to the scripture, but the, 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 what did the Father say to, what did Jesus say to the Father? Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ. Everyone say Christ. Jesus saw a man, a Jew, living on the earth, was about 30 or some, 30 someone years old, and he asked him, who do you say I am? Peter says, you, I can see it. My eyes have been opened. You are the Christ, comma, son of the living God. Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar, Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you. What, what Jesus was saying, Peter, you could not have known that by human means, studying or otherwise. God literally came in your mind and drew away the curtains and allowed you to see a reality that most people in, in the world at that stage could not penetrate. Right? Say revelation. To know Christ, you're going to have to know Him by revelation. Now, listen carefully. Let me explain briefly. In Colossians, in Colossians 2 verse 8 and 9, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, who is Him? Christ. For in Him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Right? The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So, what is the fullness of deity? The fullness of deity is... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now it says, yes, the, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss Christ as a principle later on. But I'll just give you some clues for, for, for issues that we will amplify later and give clarity to. Whenever you understand the principle of Christ, you always think it includes Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, the fullness of deity. Now, the Greek word for deity is theotis, which is divinity. The state of being, God, the Godhead. So the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, if you would, are encapsulated in this idea of Christ. 
And He is the head. Father, Son, Spirit is the head of His, of His body. Okay? Now, in this verse, it is referencing Christ, the man that came on the earth as Jesus. Now, let me explain this, this concept further. Whenever something from the heavens, this is how it works. Whenever something from the heavens wants to come into the earth, it can't just enter anyhow. The only legitimate vehicle to contain something heavenly in the earth is called sun. Sun is the transporter, if you would, of anything heavenly in an earth-based context. Right? So anything from this domain wants to come to this domain, it has to come. That's why the sun was sent. Jesus the Son came from the heavens. Right? So, listen carefully. Even when He the Son stood on the earth, and the Son asked men, like His disciples, who do you see? What did Peter say? I see, I don't see you a man. What do I see? I see. Even though Peter couldn't fully comprehend what he was saying, Peter was saying, I see in you a man I see the fullness of deity. I see Christ. But because it's in an earth-based context, you are Christ, comma, the sun. You are Christ coming in the vehicle or the medium of sun to the earth. So what did Jesus say? When, this, when, when, the, when, the, when the disciples said to the sun, show us the Father, what did he, the sun, say? I am the fullness of everything is in God. If you've seen me, you have, seen the, you have seen the Father. So the fullness of a, of a Trinitarian God, a threefold God, Father, Son, and Spirit, can come to vest. Keyword here is bodily. You must look at the Greek word. This word in, in uh, Colossians 2 verse 9. Underline bodily form. Right? Tell your neighbor you're still in your body. Just nudge them. You're still flesh and blood. Last time I checked. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're still flesh and blood, right? So I want to encourage every single one of you. Sherwin, you can be in your world a representation of the fullness of Christ. In your bodily form, the fullness of deity can come to reside in you. But the capsule, the container in and through which you receive it is called sun. Right? Can you understand now why in the Bayith, the house of God, made up of fathers and sons, we are so focused on the development of sonship. Because in sonship is the possibilities of containing everything that God represents. God in His wisdom has chosen to only express Himself through a medium called Son. That is the genius and the wisdom of a sovereign God. He will only come, He who is Spirit. Say God is Spirit. John 4 says God is Spirit. Spirit is, cannot be seen. A spirit doesn't have a body. But this verse says, the fullness of Christ can dwell in someone in bodily form through the medium of sonship. If something from the unseen world, the spirit world, ruach, you can see wind. Sorry, you can't see wind. But you can see its effects. Similarly, you can't see spirit, but spirit Everything of the invisible God wants to come into the earth. And it can only come in through the medium of sun. Now, I'm giving you a hint at what we'll do in our next study after this. 
when Jacob had the dream in Genesis 28, Jacob's dream with the ladder reaching the heavens, he woke up and what did he, what did he say this place is? He says, this is what? The Bayith of God. This is the house of God, comma, the gate to the heavens. Or the gate of the heavens. Everything in the heavens, if heaven wants to come into earth, it has to come into a house, a Bayith, made up of spiritual fathers and sons. Right? That is why, listen carefully, this constitution, yeah, that we have tonight is so powerful. That is why more than any other meeting on a Friday night, this gathering, for me, takes priority. Why? Every time, whether it's a Sunday or Tuesday, no matter what day, every time the house is constituted, guess what you have created? You've created a portal. Some of you are gamers. You portals, you go into another world. Not so. Right? The, 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 The heavenlies become possible to access. Every heavenly resource is here tonight. Do you know what you've done tonight by coming? The gathering creates a doorway into the heavens. It's not just every time you gather. You as a representative son, wherever you are. Do you know what John said or Jesus said to to Nathaniel? Remember Jesus saw Nathaniel under the fig tree? And he said he was a man in whom there is no guile. This is in John chapter 2 or 3. Just check it out. Listen carefully. And the Bible says, Jesus said this to Nathaniel. You believe me because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Right? But you will see greater things from here onwards. Nathaniel simply believed because Jesus, by discernment, saw him under a fig tree and, and prophesied over him that he's a man in whom there's no guile. Behold an Israelite in whom there's no guile. Jesus draws him aside and says, You believe me simply because I said I saw you under a fig tree. From now onwards, you will see greater things. What's the greater things? You will see angels ascending and descending on who? On the Son of Man, in an earth-based context, wherever the Son is, the Son creates an interface with the heavens. Right? So wherever you are, Denzel, in your workplace, Janelle, at Varsity, wherever, wherever you are, all of us, even our little um, youngsters, wherever you are, just think, I'm at my school, but I am the portal. I am this interface with an, a realm that nobody else can see. And I'm going to visibilize the invisible God. I'm going to put his nature and his will on display. That is why, listen carefully, that's what makes the house of God the strong house of God, El Bethel. Bethel is house of God. El Bethel is God of the house of God of the house of God or the strong house of God. I want to encourage you that we have gathered together to access all the resource in the heavenly realm. Just one last verse. At the bottom of verse of page 3. So Christ, Father, Son, Spirit, is the head of His body. Let me just explain something further, perhaps just to, to make cement it in our understanding. Whatever's in the head must be in the... Whatever's in the head must be in the body. If in the head... God it, the headship of Christ. You have Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, these two elements are relational dynamics. Not so, Father and Son, relationship. These are relational dynamics. Those, that, that principle of Father 
and Son must also be present in His body. Okay? And how does Father and Son come to you? Father and Son comes to you. See, you can see the power here. Father and Son comes to you through the, the Holy Spirit. Don't have time to teach that. But the dynamics of Father and Son are only accessible through the agency of the, the Holy Spirit. Right? So please, when we stress in this house, we're stressing fathers and sons, don't see it simply as a nice way of organizing church. This is reflective of everything within the God, the headship of Christ. And in and through this medium, he wants to come into the, the world. Okay? So tell your neighbor, welcome to the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. That's what Jacob said in Genesis 28. This is the gate of heaven. So next time your friends say, show me the way to heaven, say, come, I'll show you the gathering. <laughs> when we come together, this constitution represents the interface with the heavens. Hallelujah. So we say that the church body is comprised of fathers and sons. The house of God is comprised of spiritual fathers who lead spiritual sons. Those sons are builders of the family name. Um, together they constitute the house of God, which is the gate of heaven. Whenever God the invisible spirit wants to come into an earth reality. It comes in through the medium of, of son. The focus is the development of sonship. And spiritual fathers are positioned over spiritual sons to develop them into the fullness of Christ. Christ as a principle is the fullness of deity. Father, son, and spirit components are all reflective within the concept of Christ. Okay? Christ is the fullness of Him that fills all in all. Now at the bottom of page 3, just to stress this, 2 John chapter 1 from verse 6, it says, And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, that those who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the, everyone say antichrist. So the, the concept of Christ is there, but anti tells us it's against or opposed to everything that Christ stands for. That's all that antichrist is. The antichrist, the focus of antichrist is always to attack the accurate representation of Christ. So it's anti-Christ. Now John gives us a, a, a powerful clue. It says in verse 7, Anyone deceivers, he calls them, go out into the world and they don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ the man as coming in the flesh. It doesn't say that has come as a man in the flesh. It says as coming. And the, the phrase in, in the Greek, as coming, means Present continuous tense. So he has come as a man. And Peter said of this man, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But first John, he writes and he says, this principle of a man coming in the flesh can always come in the flesh. 
So what did Paul say to the, we read this last week, a few weeks ago. Paul said to the Galatians, when I came to you, you received me how? As an angel of God, comma, even as Christ him. So when, when Paul, so this is, this is like Jesus Christ as still coming in the flesh. He comes embodied in spiritual fathers to you. So Paul said to Galatians, I came, this is a difficult doctrine for most people to receive. Right? You've got to get this by revelation. Paul said to the Galatians, when I came to you, I came, you received me how? As an angelos, the messenger carrying a divine message. And you received me even as Christ him. So he's not saying I am the Christ. Because the Bible says in the last days, many will say I am the Christ. Right? There's only one who came as the eternal Logos, the Son of God. But we today come as representations of that reality, not that reality. We are purely symbolic representations of that principle in the lives of, of men. Okay? Then he says this, Watch yourselves, that you don't lose what you have accomplished, but that you might receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Everyone say the doctrine of Christ. You will have Sean often referenced this phrase. He often calls it the doctrine of Christ in his messages. From this verse, the teaching of Christ, this verse in King James is the doctrine of Christ. So what is John saying? John says there's something called abiding or staying in the doctrine of Christ. And he says this. Anyone who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have who? God, Father, Son, Spirit. You see how this all ties together? Anyone who doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have Father, Son, Spirit, does not have God. But he says, listen carefully, the one who abides in the teaching has both who? Has both Father and Son. The principle of Christ is Father and Son. The doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of Father and Son. But you can't get Father and Son without the, the Holy Spirit revealing those to you. Amen? Now, just, just to, to, to just round this thought off quickly before we proceed, go to Ephesians 1 at the, in the bottom of page 4, Ephesians 1.22. <clears throat> He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. So you should underline the word head, right? Put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body. He's the head. His church is his body, as we've said. And what is the body? The fullness of him that fills all things in all. Can you see how the church is to represent the head and him through his church is going to fill all things? It's through the medium of this the house that the kingdom reality is going to fill every domain within, within, within life. Okay? Now, Colossians 1.25 says, Paul is writing, he says, Of this church I was made a minister according to what? According to the stewardship from God bestowed on me 
for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the, the Word of God. That is, the mystery that has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been made manifested to His saints, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Repeat that after me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you must circle the word you there, Christ in you, and I've indicated the word you is in the Greek plural. It's not Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, all of you together, is the hope of glory. No one of us on our own can fully represent the fullness of Christ. But collectively, we, we can put His entire nature on this play. So every time you quote that verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you're actually saying Christ in all of us. Not in some of us or a few of us. It's Christ in you, the hope of, the hope of glory. So the Bayit, the house of God, is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is to reflect the headship of the headship of Christ. This is the house of God, made up of spiritual fathers and sons. Okay? Now, go back to Micah 4 on page 1. Let's just reread this. It says, It will come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be... Now, when you read that now, please... You are, you are Bible students, right? Whenever you read in the Old Testament, house of God, in your mind are running all these concepts. A house of spiritual fathers and sons. The body of Christ, representing all the nature and the intentions of Christ the head, Father, Son, and Spirit. All are expressed through this house, right? The many-membered, multiple-son body of Christ. Now let's reread that. It will come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of this house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come to this house, and what will they say? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And what will happen in this construct? Why are nations going to be gravitationally almost, not well, not gravitation, because gravity flows. This mountain is above other mountains, and the Bible says nations stream. So you defy gravity, you're streaming upward to the house, right? And the Bible says here, what will be their cry? We'll say it louder. Teach us. What will be the cry of the nations? Say it louder. Come on, say it louder. Teach us. Now, you've got to get this as a, as, as a, as a revelation into your heart. We are, we are fast moving in the last days, where I prophesy even over this house. It's already happening at an alarming rate. We're, we're getting calls. We're getting um, Macedonian calls. Come over and help us. There's a dearth, uh, a paucity of, of knowledge, of understanding and revelation. They are saying, Teach us the ways of your God. This house is didactic in its function. I'll make it very clear to us. You must understand that we are highly instructive. Why? We are focused on presenting what? 
They won't say the ways. They will say, teach us about His ways. Teach us about the ways of your God, that we might walk on His paths. Then the Bible says, as a prophecy, from the Zion, the church of the firstborn, the body of Christ, the Bayith, the house of God, from this Zion will go forth what? The law of the Lord, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And we are the new Jerusalem, right? From this platform, if you would, from this mountaintop, the word of the Lord is going to go forth, right? And nations will say, teach us his ways. Right now we're doing that. We're emailing these notes, for example, to about how many people? now? About 120 people every week. We emailed this note this morning, right? It's gone already, right? We've had requests um, even from somebody in Eldoret now when I was there. Um, on the list, and he wants to communicate this to pastors in a rural village. They want to print hard copies and take it, take it to them. What are the nations saying? They're sending the house, and they're saying, teach us the ways of your God. But I want to I stress this, maybe the next session, next time we meet. The didactics is not, not so much... Uh, declarative. It's not so much vocal as in someone standing and voicing the principles of God. The didactic of the house is you become the instruction of the Lord wherever you are. Right? Yes, this has a place where we will actually instruct nations vocally because we don't want to take away from the biblical import of preaching. The act of preaching is a vital means of communicating the ways of God. That is true. It will always be. But where it says, go into all nations and do what? Teach. Teach the nations. How we miss these all along. How the church missed such simple and clear instructions from the Lord. You become the lesson. You become um, the embodiment of what is to be taught to the nations. Amen? And so, I may be back I'll say it later, what I want to say. But go back to page 5. So, now this is where I come to. The, the next subheading is, the word of God in the house. The house is spiritual fathers and sons. The representation of Christ. Our main business, our main business is the word of God. Because from this platform, nations are going to stream up to the mountain of the Lord's house, and they're going to say, teach us your ways from this platform. The law of the Lord is going to go forth from, from Zion. Okay? Now, Zechariah 8 verse 3 says, listen carefully. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called what? The city of truth. The mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called my holy my holy mountain. What is truth? Thy word is, thy word is truth. Remember the church is the pillar and support of all, of all truth. So, I've, I've tried to diagrammatically depict this here. Okay? I must commission, maybe Liam, this is my first project I'll give to you. Demonstrate this graphically somehow. It's been a nice cover for a book, eh? I was thinking that. Maybe we should make a book out of this whole series. The primacy of the Word of God, because 
It says the mountain of the Lord's house. You've got to visually, visually um, envision this. The mountain of the bayith of the Lord's house will be chief over all the mountains of the earth. Right now there's a teaching going around called the seven mountains teaching. Right? Where each mountain is, is, is like a sector in society, like government, politics, education, commerce, medicine, the arts, culture, and a whole lot of others. Right? But um, mountains, look in your notes, in the paragraph in the middle there, mountains depict significant areas or spheres of global society. Example, government, education, politics, commerce, medicine, arts, entertainment, etc. The prophecy here indicates the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as chief of all the mountains in the nations of the earth. Now, if you read this literally, in the New American Standard marginal rendering, it reads as follows. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established on the chief of all the mountains. Right? So let me just say this to you. Right now, I'm more, I'm more serious about my calling than ever before. I, my calling is far more important than Zoomers right now. Right? If you, under, if you truly understand what we are busy with, the, the, the attention to detail, the seriousness of this call, every domain in every sector of society, the Bible says nations are going to stream up, and I like this, they will stream up to the mountain of the Lord's house. And the cry is, teach us. He's, let's put ways here, teach us the ways of your God. And from Zion, or the Bayith, when I draw this house here, you picture father, son's brotherhood, the entire thing, the family of God, the body of Christ, all the principles we discuss. It says, from Zion will go forth the law from here. I'm just going to put this like this. From here will go forth. Right? Will go forth the law of the Lord. The, the term for law here is Torah, Torah, which means precepts and statutes. Precepts and statutes. From Zion will go forth the law of the Lord. And it says, even the, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That is why it's so important for this house to become word fixated, word centered. Right? Our business, and let me just say this this is a prophecy. Tell your neighbor this is a prophecy. And we're seeing the, the initial indications of its fulfillment in what we're doing. But I believe its impetus, its force is going to grow progressively with time, it's going to accelerate. With this dynamics, it's going to become very, very real. And in, listen carefully, in days to come, we are going to need, in this house of the Lord, our fathers and, well, in terms of a local house, a father and a father and sons. Okay? A father and sons. The father cannot always communicate the intention of the ways of the Lord to the word of the Lord to the nations of the earth. Sons are also going to have to do it as well. Our first port of call is we as a household 
must become the living embodiment of the word of the Lord. The pillar, the ground, and the support of all truth. And then when needs be, we will respond to Macedonian calls to go over and to help the nations of the earth to come up to speed in terms of the will and the ways of the Lord being being taught to them. Right? So every son, I want to encourage this house, every son must, must elevate. Okay? Um, I've just come back from Kenya. Some will call today to say we're going to have to go back in two weeks. Right? To do a whole school in a new town, Nakuru. Right? So what, what, is the, what, what do we see happening? Listen carefully. Nations are literally crying out, teach us the ways of your God. Even the strength of my going, the strength and the effectiveness of my going, is only given strength and impetus based upon the strength of this local house from which I go. Amen? And I, I want to encourage you, be diligent in your preparation, be absolutely focused in, 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 your, in your representation of the ways of the Lord, your priority of the word of the Lord. Because the cries are going to deepen and they're going to become, they're going to become more louder from the nations of the earth and come and show us the ways of your God. We must not be in a strange land. When the Babylonians say to us, sing us one of the songs of Zion, we mustn't be hanging our harps on willow trees. Willow trees are, speak of depression, right? Wilting. And, and say, we can't sing the Lord's song in a strange land. When the Babylonians say, and you know the Babylonians, when they ask Israel to sing us one of the songs of Zion, they weren't just saying, let me hear how these Jewish songs go. We only hear the flavor of your songs. The word songs there is, the Hebrew word indicates, that what they were really asking is, teach us about your God by singing your God's, the songs of your God. And they said, we could not sing the Lord's song because we are captive in a strange land. You're in Babylon, but you're in the world. You are not of the world. Live above the frequency of, of this world's dictates. Amen? Now, on page 5. Terry Labour, we are the city of truth. Zechariah 8.12 Zion is the city of truth. It's the mountain of the Lord of hosts. It is a holy mountain. It is a holy mountain. Now, I'll just put a, a quick note here. Listen carefully. Um, this mountain of the Lord's house will be dominant over every other mountain. Right? And the Bible says, the house, the kingdom of God comes into the world through the house. The church is the agency for expressing a kingdom reality. And Luke says that the kingdom is like yeast. Right? The last word in that paragraph. The kingdom is like yeast or leaven, and it's highly infectious. Luke 13, 20 says, again he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Okay? We are like yeast. Everyone say, you are yeast. Tell the person next to you, you are yeast. And yeast you put into a dough, and when they need it, they work it through the dough. It becomes infectious. The kingdom is like yeast in the world, right?
It's like yeast that affects the entirety of the dough. The kingdom is like yeast in the, in the world. We're like a virus in the system. We must affect every other mountain. Okay? You know what the Bible says, the, 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 the prophecy given to Abraham, it says, your sons will contend with the enemy in the gates. We're not so much focused on taking the mountains, like the seven mountains teaching suggests. We are focused on developing sons, and we position sons in every sector of society. That's how, they're like the dough, the yeast in the dough. Right? What was Joseph in Egypt? Okay, he was in government, also in commerce. He was like minister of finance. But you know what Joseph said? Joseph said, I am father to Pharaoh. I'm a son of Jacob. I have a pate. I'm a son. But in my world, I'm conditioning aphasia. But I function in my sonship. In that way, every son will affect every domain in society. Amen? So wherever you are, you are the yeast in the dough. Wherever you are. And you can start to rule in the midst of your enemies. Now look what Micah three verse Micah four verse three says. From Zion the law will go forth, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now look at Psalm 110, verse 2. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. Now think of a scepter. I'm trying to draw one here. A scepter is a little rod that the kings use to express. So I'm just going to put a simple little rod. Nothing elaborate. Right? The scepter. So the Bible says, from Zion, the Lord's going to extend his... So the Lord rules in the earth from the house of the Lord. From Zion, it says, will go forth the law. The Lord stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. And saying what? Now please underline it. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So the church is to rule within a belligerent, antagonistic atmosphere. There are enemies. The world is highly antagonistic to us. The world hates us. Yet God says to us, if you function from this place called Zion, it's from this construct where the word or the law of the Lord is issued, and this tense amounts to a scepter in the hand of the Lord, it will cause you to rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, how do we do this? How do we do this? The Hebrew word on the next page for scepter is mate. And mate literally means staff, like a scepter, staff, a branch. But circle the word tribe. It largely relates to a tribe, right? A whole tribe. Um, do you remember Aaron's rod? that budded, right? His mate or his rod, his scepter, uh, the rod of each leader of each tribe was put into the Ark of the Covenant. And the leader whose rod blossomed was the chosen leader. So the scepter or the rod represented not just the leader, it represented the whole tribe. But the staff or the scepter was in the hand of the tri ordained tribal leader. So a scepter, the point I want to get to is this. A scepter indicates a large collective of families, a tribe, right? A tribe. 
right? So the, the scepter of the Lord is extended from Zion. And this tribe, this, this scepter, think of tribe. It says the Lord will extend his tribal strength. His tribal made up of a collection of clans and families. So in the word tribe, we have the implication of fathers and sons. Listen carefully. The church has got military might and authority. But its military might and authority is dependent upon its family constitution. The church is no more military, more powerful than it is comprised by family. Right? I have this, in the middle of your paragraph it says, the sentence starting, the church's military governmental strength is exercised and expressed through its nature as a family. Everyone say family. But don't mess with this family. This is worse than the mafia. Everyone say family. You're the mafia. You're talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mess with this this, this is a family, but when we say we are family, people think, oh, we can run roughshod over this family. No. I'm going to say this. Your family character is your military strength. Your family constitution is your, is your authority in the spirit. Your authority in the spirit is directly uh, dependent upon your family characteristic. God extends the step. He's saying, this is the way I rule. I rule by a tribe. I rule by a constitution of families. Right? Remember, I was thinking, Abraham attacked Chedaloma with what? 318 born in his house. His allies, Eskol, Aina, and Mamre were brothers. A, a family principle attacked a coalition of four major Persian empires, and they prevailed. The rod of God's scepter is always extended from the house of the Lord. So, do you appreciate family now? Can you see why it's so important to love each other? Can you see why it's so important for us not to tolerate tensions and bitterness and, and unforgiveness? Can you see why whenever the family ethos is compromised, our scepter is taken away? Whenever Hebron is threatened, we have no rule, no right to rule. That is why you must guard very firmly the culture of family. In the next sentence I say, In this economy of spiritual fathers and sons, the word of the Lord goes forth as the strength of God's power, causing His church, His family to do what? To rule in the midst of their enemies. Now, Thamo said this at the school, and Hit me for a six. As he's, he said it so fleetingly and so fast. Um, with you, you were stressing another point, but he said this. He made this statement in the midst of something he was trying to explain. But I, it's like I didn't hear nothing else after. I just heard this. And God was speaking to my, to my heart. He said this. You cannot rule in the midst of your enemies until you have learned to eat from the table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. And then, now I knew the scriptures, so I immediately connected the dots. Right? You can't rule in the midst of your enemies, Psalm 110, verse 2. Until you've learned to eat from the table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies, Psalm 
23 verse 5. Okay? That's an extremely profound statement. Right? This is, this is my best statement from the school, actually. You can't, you can't rule in the midst of your enemies until you have learned to sit and eat from the table furnished for you in the presence of your enemies. So, now, your enemies are the following. Satan, the world, and the, the flesh. I'm not going to go through that right now, but just for your, your understanding. We have enemies. The world is our enemy. And First John 2, I've quoted this, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in, is not in him. Right? So Satan is our enemy. The world is our enemy. The, syst- the world system is our enemy. And our carnal nature, the flesh, is our enemy. I just want to go to Psalm 23 because the statement that Thamo made stopped me to look at Psalm 23 because that's where the verse is located. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters or quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell where? I will dwell in the... Now suddenly, when you understand these concepts, um, simple psalms like this take on new meaning. Not so? I will dwell in the bayith of the, of the Lord, the house of the Lord, for ever. John 8 says, the sun remains in the house for forever. I will, I will abide in the house forever. The point is, if you start in verse 6, the whole context of Psalm 23 is the house. Is the mountain of the Lord's house. This is where David says, all these things that happen from verse 1 to verse 5 are going to transpire in. They take place in the house of the Lord. And in this house, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Now, we've got 10 minutes. I'll finish this on Sunday. Let's see how far we go. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone say shepherd. Now, he shepherds you through positioning earthly human shepherds as his representatives, not so. In fact, if you're in this house, and I'm your father in the Lord, as it were, God is shepherding you through me, right? The good shepherd, you know what Peter calls for the elders? He says, the elders among you feed the flock of God, right? Feed the flock. The function of eldership or leadership, especially spiritual fathers, is to feed. You lead by feeding. You're not leading if you're not feeding, right? Leadership is about feeding people the word of the word of the Lord. The main business of the house is the word of God. And he says, when the chief shepherd appears, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
He will give you a crown that does not fade away. So he's the great, great and chief elder, the chief shepherd, and we shepherd on his behalf the people that God has given into our, into our care. Now, here's a lovely verse in Jeremiah, verse, chapter 3, verse 15, regarding shepherds. I love this passage. It says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. We will feed you on what? Feed you on knowledge and understanding. The business of a shepherd is to feed God's people knowledge and understanding so that they can grow up into the ways of God. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord. They will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Remember the ark, the box? Right? Picture this powerful prophecy. This prophecy is saying, when a good shepherd feeds his people knowledge and understanding, then people are no longer going to say, look, yes, the ark of the covenant. It will not even come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be actually made again. Right now there's a quest to find where this ark actually is located in the earth. I personally think it will never be found. God says, people won't miss it. Why? Because a people have become it. A people now embody everything that that box represents. But how are you going to become the box? How are you going to become the representation of the ark? What was in the ark, by the way? There were three items, remember? In the the box. There was Aaron's rod that butter that speaks of patriarchal theocratic leadership the scepter right then there was the the manner that reminded them of god's providential daily provision that sustained them in their journey in the wilderness and then there was the tablets the law the ten commandments that regulated life and their relationship with god and when you become the embodiment of all those three principles you become the manifestation of the ark of the covenant in your world this prophecy is saying there's coming a day when God says, and do you know today in, in many churches, there are false shepherds. Many churches, there are false shepherds. Not truly feeding the flock of, feeding the flock of God. And listen carefully. When true shepherds arise, then they, they form people into the image of God. And these people become the visible demonstration of the glory of God which was what the ark represented in its totality, the glory of God in their world. Verse 17, at that time, they will call Jerusalem what? Now see how these concepts come together. Everyone say the throne of the Lord. Right now, what is God's throne? The Bible says, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. But we said the house of God becomes the interface of the heavens. Now, the rule of God shifts from heaven to the house. Right? It shifts from heaven to the house. Where is the scepter? That you shall extend the rule or the rod of his scepter from out of Zion. Right? Can you see this verse? It says, They will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it. Very similar to Micah 4. Eh? All the nations will stream up into it. To Jerusalem, for what? For the name of the Lord. And they will walk, nor will they walk anymore in the stubbornness of their evil hearts. You know what? My view has changed now. For the next few years, I'm going to focus on the house. Why? 
We, we, sometimes we want to focus on changing the stubbornness out there. The point is, the stubbornness out will change out there if the representation of the house is accurate. Right? We have, even our methodology of evangelism is going to change. Going to all the world might not necessarily f- mean physically move. They did physically go in Acts because of the persecution, remember? But going implies a mentality of being positioned to teach the nations. But the, all the Old Testament prophecy is saying, there's coming a last day when they will come to you. The calls will come to you, right? And we, we will travel, etc. But the house is going to become such a standard. What does Isaiah 60 says? Nations will come to your what? It will say light. The light must, I mean, I guarantee you, let's say we have some massive light over this church with such intensity, it causes all of Durban to take note of. There will be a gravitational pull to this house, right? The point is we must intensify the light of this house. And we will only do that by the word of the Lord. This then becomes the throne of the Lord, the embodiment of the ark of the of the covenant. And the Bible says, they will walk no, no more any person after the stubbornness of his evil heart. I like this. In those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel. So there's this oneness and unity. And they will come together from the land, from the north of the land that I give to your fathers as an inheritance. Then I said, how would I set you among the sons? And give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you will call me my father and not turn from following or turn away from following me. And notice the ultimate is that in and through this construct, God wants to manifest his nature as father. It will say father, right? The principle of fathering is to arrest every orphan spirit. I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their sons, sons of the fathers, so that I don't come in. Smite the earth with a, smite the earth with a curse. I just love this prophecy in Jeremiah 3. It's a very powerful, powerful thing to always keep at the forefront of your mind as you engage in, in the work of the Lord. Become a shepherd after God's own heart. Teach people knowledge and understanding. Right? Verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, still waters. And green pastures are used to feed sheep, not so. All right? It's a reference to spiritual fathers feeding their people the appropriate diet. Right? It's proper spiritual food. Okay? Verse 3a, he restores my soul. Let's just say that he restores my soul. Your soul needs restoration. Your spirit man is entirely regenerated. You are three parts. You are spirit, soul, and body. You are all three. You are spirit. You are soul. You are are body. When you get saved, your spirit man is entirely born again, totally renewed, perfect. Your soul is in the process of being perfected. Now, with that in mind, God, the heavenly Father, is the Father of your spirit. For so teach the scriptures. Hebrews 12 verse 9 says, Moreover, we've had earthly human fathers who disciplined us, 
and we, res- and we respected them for it. There's a word missing there. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirit? So the Bible clearly teaches the Heavenly Father is the Father of your spirits. But earthly spiritual fathers like myself, I, you say I'm your Father in the Lord. What are you really saying? In your mind, you must always bear this in mind. Randolph is fathering my soul, not my spirit. Right? The Heavenly Father is the Father of your spirit. Our job as earthly spiritual fathers is to bring your soul in sync and alignment with your spirit. Now your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I got it there. Your soul includes your mind, what and how you think, your will, the choices and decisions you make, and your emotions, how you feel. Right? So your mind, your will, your emotions, what you think, what you decide, how you feel. That's your, your soul. I father how you think, what you think. I father kinds of decisions and choices you make. I father you to live above how you feel emotionally. Right? We do that by presenting to you the biblical principles in reference to these things. What we want to do is bring your soul in sync or alignment with your with your with your spirit man so that you can function effectively in this life now there are two scriptures in reference to this that are very very essential and they're easy to remember because they're both in hebrews both in chapter 13 the one is seven and the other is 17 right it's easy hebrews 13 7 hebrews 13 17 right let's start with 17 it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over what? Not your spirits. They keep watch over your souls, right? As to those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. What is your responsibility to me as I watch for your soul? Everyone say obey. So it says obey your leaders. Verse 7 says, remember those who led you and who spoke to you the word of God. Just stop there. How do I lead you? By speaking the word. That verse tells it. Leadership, the function of spiritual fathering, leadership over the souls of men, is to simply speak the, the word of God. And then you must consider the result of their conduct, and then you can imitate their, imitate their, imitate their faith. Okay? He leads me in the parts of righteousness for his namesake. Everyone say parts of righteousness. And it says he does this as he restores your soul and brings your soul in alignment with your spirit. He leads you in the path of right living for his name's sake. Right? So, everyone say walk. Right? So, you, he guides you as you walk through paths. You walk through paths. So, your walk, the walk of a son, will always be reflective of the name. You walk in the paths of right living. For his name's sake. And we say that name always alludes to nature and, and function. So your walk will always be reflective of his nature. And your walk will always embody his will and function in life. And your walk then will be classified as, as righteous. Even though I walk in the valley of, the, of death's shadow, I fear no evil because you are with me. And what comforts me? Two things. Your rod 
and your and your staff right now the word rod as i've indicated here is shebet the word for scepter is mate the scepter from zion is tribe mate the word for rod here is shebet and it's extremely akin or close to to mate literally means the same thing tribe family i didn't clearly indicate it here in your notes but listen carefully staff as it indicated is mishana which means support or sustenance right concretely a walking stick what do walking sticks do some of you will find it out soon enough <laughs> what do walking sticks do they give you support so you can walk straight so the staff of the lord helps you to walk to walk straight right the word of God will always condition your walk and assist you, sustain your walk to, so your walk could be upright, as it were, not crooked in the Lord. But it's not just the staff um, that comforts you. It's also his rod. I said to you the word for rod, yes, your bed is akin to mate, which is scepter. So your location in the family, the tribe, also comforts you. Your positioning within the family of God is the rod. Rod, I didn't write in your notes, but rod also indicates correction. Not so? Right? In this culture, that is why, listen carefully, the moment you absent yourself from this household, you're prone to error. Here, the very fact that you are here keeps you on the straight and narrow. You, you, you're more, less prone to go off the rails if you're part of this family. The family has got a protective system about it. The rod and the staff of the Lord, they, they comfort me. Shepherds also use their staff. You know the staff had that hook? To hook wayward sheep. You go with the rays, they hook you with the staff. So next time I preach and I say, you there? Or you there? You know, I'm hooking you back into the fold. Okay. Your rod and your staff. The mate, the tribal character, the family character of the family of God in itself is a protective mechanism to help your walk in the Lord. And verse 6 indicates, will end here, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything is contextualized within the house. And John 8.35 says, a slave does not remain in the house forever, but a Son remains in the house forever. Let's just finish verse 5. The verse we started on. You prepare me a table in the presence of my enemies. Now listen carefully. Two things the table does. There are many, but just two things for tonight. The table unifies and the table feeds and nourishes. Right? Um... For those of you that are big families, when you sit at the table, somebody can be in the TV room, I can be in my office, one of the other kids might be in their own room, one can be playing outside. The moment Renee says, supper time, guess what happens? You drop everything and you all gravitate towards the table. The table preserves family, entrenches family, not so? So when David says, you prepare for me a table, he's got this idea of, you don't sit by yourself at a table. It must be lonely to have supper alone. 
Some like some people, yeah. These two in the front. <laughs> but listen carefully. But God's going to change all of that. We know, amen. <laughs> you have you sit at the table and you. I mean, now we have to pray for imaginary family. <laughs> for our two sons, just imagine. <laughs> so you must pre- when you, next time you go sit for supper, put out more than one plate by faith. Say, welcome. <laughs> I'm just joking. We'll have to edit this print in somehow. But family is a communal table. It's, it's intended to sit at the table is meant for family. Amen. And so David says, you furnish for me a table. So he has the idea of family being seated there. And remember, I said to you, the governmental authoritative strength of the house of God is its family characteristic. And David sits at tables in the presence of enemies. Simply because, and oh, by the way, what's on the, what's on the table? Food. The second thing, food. What does food do to you? What is food symbolic of the? The word of God. So Thomas says this, you can't rule, you can't, God can't extend the rod of his scepter from out of Zion. The law of the Lord goes forth, the word from Jerusalem. The mountain of the Lord's house is predominant over every single other mountain. We can't rule in the midst of our enemies until we've learned to sit at the table of our spiritual father who has prepared food for us to nourish us, to make us strong to rule in this antagonistic culture. All right? That's how we rule. So, Next time you come to any gathering where the word of the Lord is pronounced in this fashion, you come with a new mentality. We're coming to receive food, knowledge and understanding from a good shepherd. We're going to become the throne of Jerusalem, the throne of the Lord in our world. From this platform, God is going to expedite all of his will, his intentions, and his, his function in the world. From the house of the Lord, the word of the Lord will go forth. Everyone say the word of the Lord in the house of the Lord. Amen.